You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the crap. Oh, damn it! <laughs> you know what? Joe, how much it makes me would I get if I did a Celine Dion song? A lot. I just want to fucking embrace it. And her chummer limbs called Steering to the skin, Marty. And it's Babs, Babs, Babs and Limbs. Baddest slots in the whole damn town. Badder than a pissed off whiz Meaner than a razor girl. It is not often that I wish we had cameras and broadcast, <laughs> but I would have liked to have seen Marty's face there. Just that momentary, oh, thank God it's over. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I swear to, to God, see that. here my eyes just like roll back into my head. <laughs> Hello, folks, and welcome to Fort Lawrence It's Monday. The, fuck, what day is it? June 25th. It's one of them. Uh, yeah, whatever. It's Monday, that much I know. And uh, we've, we're done with E3, and but we've still got a crap load to talk about, and some of these are titles that we're showing off at E3, but we did get more news. Now, Marty, you did not get a chance to talk about Forsaken, so here is your chance. Think of this as your, not that it's going to happen, but try to sell me on it as much as you can. Okay. I'm going to ask for the suspension of disbelief regarding AAA game studio fuckery. And uh, think about that as a, the more, you know, kind of rainbow banner going across Uh, the devs at over at Bungie have said, and I quote that all the feedback that they have received has been weighed and they're going to fix as many of the issues that destiny two has had um, in forsaken. Uh, And the number one complaint from, our kind of realm other than fuckery has been story issues. So they're arguing that they're going to do their best to tell the greatest space Western since Firefly uh, by doing (laughs) revenge motif. No, 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 I shall not allow that on this podcast. (laughs) The best one since Firefly without Nathan Fillion. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's the best space Western since Firefly. What, what has been better since Firefly? what has been since firefly exactly it's, it's a short list there was a uh they tried with a show called dark matter but it didn't really carry Hey, dark Ma- matter was actually really good we loved that show we watched it uh, reasonable people Fuck can disagree you it was a good show <laughs> i think i just won anyway uh again i'll double down best space western since Firefly, we are going to see the death of Cave Six. Um, just gonna wait until my dog stops barking. And somewhere, Alan Tudyk is cheering. <laughs> right? Oh my God! What if Grifter is played by Alan Tudyk? Anyway, um. Oh my God! That would be brilliant. <laughs> that you know. So the idea is that. Uh, Cade has six has been putting people in prison in the reef for a very long time. There will be a prison break. Uh, there will be these uh, new version of the fallen called the scorn, which have been raised by some mysterious power. We don't know what it could be too many transmats from the prison of elders. It could be Sabathun. I'm leaning towards Sabathun, um, but the they will darkness. be. Oh, God. Well, you know, Hey, <laughs> wasn't that what made them like weird and wispy and smoky in the first game? They're only when you shot them, <laughs> um, like their ether would pop and you would see them. Well, no, it wasn't like that. That mass force of creatures that were, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like this is something that's been bothering me about their description of this. This is literally the exact same thing as like what is it, the taken, where it's like, oh, it's all these massive, all, the, all these other races that have been morphed into like these beings of darkness to serve oh. their new master. It's the same fucking thing. I, I see what you're saying. No, yeah, the 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 taken versus uh, the scorn. We don't well with the taken. If it's the same, if the scorn are in, fall in the same category, like right now. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I they call them undead. 
Oh, right. it's the same fucking difference. The question is, can they execute it? Because if we if we just base it on like... We know they can. They did it in the first game. So, <laughs> well, I would like to finish explaining before the critiques start. But if y'all motherfuckers don't want, that's fine. I'll just keep talking. Now then, where was I? The death of Cade 6. And Bungie says it is the actual death of Cade 6. There will be no more Cade 6. Or no more Cade, even. Um, now, I have not seen... I've seen this quoted, but I have not seen the devs say directly that he's dead 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 um i also don't he is him. because he's gonna star in a new cop show okay <laughs> i can't i can't remember the name of it but yeah there's a new cop show starring nathan Fillion only in the fall so i'm thinking that's probably why until he comes back yeah. as a zombie right a robot zombie because why not I'd, I'd be down for robot zombies um and oh god i'm not gonna talk about comic books right now anyway um so that is the setup for the Forsaken, and we're going to go to new places in the Reef, which was totally underutilized in Destiny 1. Uh, we got to go to Marasov's throne room. She is the queen of the Reef, and her initial pitch was supposed to be this badass uh, pirate queen who's, like, raiding the city and doing all sorts of cool shit, but they didn't do that in Destiny 1, because I don't know. But now in Destiny 2, she's gone. We don't know where she is. She'll come back. That's the general theory. Um, we knew that Aldrin Sov survived the last great Destiny expansion, the Taken King, uh, that he crashed his ship on Mars and made a pact with the Fallen um, and is allegedly like the new king of the House of Kings. No, the new Kel of the House of Kings. At least that's what the Grimoire was indicating. Uh, Aldrin Sov is behind the breakout. He is working with the Scorn. We don't know to what end. We do know that he is not a... He's been described as not mustache twirly, but as the hero of his own story. So got that going for you. Uh, and on the mechanics angle, they're bringing back the Destiny 1 loadout for, spe for special weapons. So your shotgun can go into your special slot. Your fusion rifle can go back into your, spe uh, your special slot. Uh, sniper rifles can go there. And you can basically play, if you really wanted to, three shotguns running around just shooting people with shotguns. Um, so you would literally be murder hobo with a shotgun. So we'll see. Um, they have also been talking, I read this morning, about the nonlinear gameplay that they're going to do. You do not have to go after the Barons in any particular order. Once the intro mission is done and Kate is dead and you're on your path for revenge, uh, you can go in any order you want. Some will be harder than others, just given power level. But that's all going to happen uh, the way you want it to. The new raid in this expansion will be in the uh, Shining City. Oh, God, I'm forgetting the name of the city. It's like Forsaken Town, but not like the ruins of Lordaeron Forsaken Town, but an actual asteroid. Uh, the motif is asteroid uh, with tumbleweeds uh, in weird purpley architecture. Jane so... Jane Sam. It'll be, it's going to, it will be interesting. The raid will occur in the city and the raid will impact the city. Uh, how it will, we don't know. Um, what's going on with it, we don't know. Uh, but there are more secrets of the type that was inserted uh, in the last uh, DLC uh, in this one. So the way I would try to bring you back is by saying uh, the story probably will be executed well uh, <laughs> but it will this car will probably take you to where you need to go you should consider buying it from me if i'm i'm hedging my i'm hedging my bets because of the audience because i don't think because i don't honestly don't think it's the story the visuals or the gameplay it's keeping people from Bun from this game it is the fact that Activision and Bungie have done everything they can to draw as much revenue in bad faith as possible. And how much is I, this going to be selling for? Uh, this is sell uh, and then here we go to the points that you will not touch. There is something called the annual pass, and I have a Google alert set up to bring me all the news of the annual pass. And I still can't make heads or tails of it. They haven't given us the best you've got is something. Right. The best I got is that you'll get access to special events. Um, and other exotics, which... But, but, the, could, but, but that's not what I asked you. What did you ask me? How, how much, much does is, it cost? How much is the expansion costing? The expansion costs $40, and then I believe in total it's $80 for the annual pass. 
which will get you the two DLCs. And you're trying to tell me that they're no longer trying to nickel and dime everybody. No, I did not say that at all. I said, like, this is the problem that this game is facing more so than mechanics or, or raid creation or story. Okay. I see what you mean. That, yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't. The fact is this, they have this AAA studio and they need to show quarterly profit. So they'll do that in the dumbest way possible by just saying, Hey, you want this rare skin that can only be accomplished through loot boxes that you can only buy through our virtual currency. Here you go. Enjoy it. By the way, we'll try to make you feel bad, but you know, fuck you, buy our stuff. It's just, it is the exact wrong way to approach uh, gamers of any kind, uh, especially once a gamer realizes that the money that they earn uh, just doesn't grow on trees. All of a sudden, we become very concerned about how we're spending our money. So Let me ask you guys, uh, well, only you two, because you're the only two playing right now. Have you guys... Well, Oh, you're not playing that much right now? No, I haven't touched it in weeks. Okay. Since, since I heard about how they fucked up the faction rallies this time around, I was like, eh, I'm good. Oh, don't even get me started. Marty, how are you finding the population right now? I have waited maybe a minute to hop into Iron Banner fights. I don't go into competitive Crucible just because it is just so not my scene. Um, I have a fire team of three. Uh, usually. So I have waited uh, on average um, like two minutes to get into any content that I wanted to get into. Okay, but um, apologies. Let me rephrase that. Not just in terms of getting into stuff, but actual population that you see people in the world, be it in the hub or actually out on planets. So out on on, on in the hubs, it's been full out on planet. I have seen a variety of, of people um, s between seven and 10 at any one given time during an escalation protocol, which is their new public event. Um, usually. Uh, and especially during peak hours, I would say. Uh, so, so you would say it hasn't just, actually gone down that much. It's gone. I well, I haven't noticed a huge decrease. There was one day where I felt like it was a ghost town and then all of a sudden everybody just showed up. So, so I don't know if it's in a loading screen, I got moved to a different instance. Yeah, I was gonna say so. the problem the problem with that is you're never gonna be able to get a quantifiable answer unless they actually release concurrent login numbers because they use a sharding system similar to like MMOs that do that, where if something is low pop enough, it just collides that shard with another shard in real time so that there's a minimum amount of bodies on whatever that server is or that instance is of that location. But so, you can still notice, though, a decrease in the population, because I know I had noticed that before I stopped playing. I mean, like, you I, could I can tell you down. what I've seen from my evidence in our, my clan that has, like, 50, 60 members. Like, it's a big clan, and, I mean, granted, I haven't played in a couple of weeks, but I since I went back at the beginning of, what, what the hell was this last one? The Warmind uh, DLC, I never saw more than three people in the clan mm -hmm. online at any one time. And it used to be full every day at launch. Yeah. That's yeah. And, right. See, that's the problem that I'm seeing, and, and everybody agrees here. I know we're all on the same page. And it's that, unfortunately, because of their practices, they have lost way more people than they should have through normal attrition, I think. Like, I, I still think that if they were not fucking around with their player base as much as they have and screwing them, I think that this would still be as pop... Not, well, I shouldn't say as popular, but still be relatively popular. Like, a lot of people still playing, excited about it and talking about it, especially with this on the horizon kind of thing. But I think because of that bad faith... That's worth, worse than just a few bugs. That's worse than, oh, we fucked up the story and things like that. That's your player base now thinks you're actively trying to fuck them. That's way different. And unfortunately, I, I feel like that is, regardless of how cool uh, Forsaken might be, there's because of the pricing structure, the little bit that we know that has a hint of fuckery in it, 
like it's it's I don't feel it's going to be enough to bring enough people back to it. Case in point, I Tristan and I have still not played Warmine and neither of us in, is in a rush really. Yeah, and just to, to take it, I don't I, I don't even want to say or go as far as to say that I think people actively think they're trying to fuck the player base over because I don't I don't think they are. I I, I think <laughs> I think personally that they haven't learned any of their fucking lessons. And I, again, I don't know how much of this is them. I don't know how much. Of I don't this know is. if they're smart enough at this point to actively fuck people but, over. <laughs> that, that's, that's basically it. Because from what we know in the past, they're making, they're, they're doing all of these same mistakes, right? And they're, they're repeating these same mistakes. And we know damn well that even Activision spent money and resources to train them not to make these mistakes. They pulled people in from other companies that are successful with under their umbrella and their publishing branches to say, here's what we learned from our fuck ups when we were doing the exact same thing you were doing. Here's how you don't do that again. And then they did it again. And I don't believe that that is willful ignorance on their part. I think that there may be a combination of they're getting certain goals that they're sort of expected to meet in fulfillment of their contract, because we don't know all the lettering of the contract that they signed. We know how many games they have to produce and things like that, but we don't know if there was any earning or monetary. Uh, I don't want to say, I guess goals would be the best way to put it, but yeah, if there's any monetary goals associated with them that they're feeling the crunch with that they need to hit, or they're on the hook for certain things, or if they're just fucking dumb, but I don't think it's malicious intent. I think it's just, they're making poor choices or they don't know that they're making poor choices at this point. What's that I think saying? That's fair. That never assume malicious intent when simple incompetence is a much better yeah, answer. Yeah, pretty much. So oh, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I will respectfully disagree. And, and not to imply that they're mustache twirling, but rather just that I'm, I'm certain there is a level of incompetence there, clearly. But I also think that a lot of these things that we have come across that are fucking their player base it was put there on purpose. I, I, Oh, yeah, Again, stuff like the the XP not being reported properly yep. and a lot of the a lot of the the shenanigans early on in Destiny Two, yeah, that was absolutely purposeful. I, I I won't deny that, but I think overall a lot of it is just them also just fucking it up. Well, I mean, if somebody says you need to have X amount of player engagement, yeah, maybe they made the the that choice, but I don't think it was out of like a need to be malicious or something like that. I think it was just a dumb choice. Still a choice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyways. Marty, I just I want to just jump in to, to end it like saying this is my concern with every major game that we're getting. I worry about the the over commoditization of all the all of the AAA titles. And I know the the game that Vince is going to talk about, I'm not going to want to play just because of other titles because it was over commodified and it, this is what's killing the 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 game. And it, because it, it encourages either blind stupidity or greedy choices. And that's the pro- and that is a huge problem, but that's a topic for a different day. And with that, we are segueing into Anthem. Vince. <laughs> just before we get to Anthem, I, I, I just want to add in that I actually just finished playing the story of the new God of War, which is a game where you give them your money, they give you a game, you fucking play it, and then it's done. Oh, it no, works. no. It's successful. It's a, Imagine that. Second, you don't just play it and then it's done. It's it's You play it, you think you're done, and oh, yes, so much of, more. Of course. But what I'm saying is there's no there's no like extraneous mechanics to get you to keep playing and spending money because you've already given them all the money you ever will. Oh, the, the, the model for that has existed for a long time. And it still works. Exactly. It's unfortunately, it is the harder model. And so everybody wants to just follow the path path of least resistance and do the absolute least with the biggest gains. Mm -hmm. And yep. If you are a business if you are in the business of making money, and that's the primary goal is making money, not making art, making money, then go for it because that's what you need to do. But if your business is making art, even if there are aspects of it that clearly are about also making money, but you're making art, that should be the primary concern. That should be what's at the top of the list. I know that's idyllic. But I firmly believe that's how it should be. And it's games like God of War that remind you that, well, yeah, you can do that. You could be successful. You could be 
um, very well regarded in terms of reviews and uh, the player base as well. So like it, it works, but it is definitely harder and requires a lot more talent and hard work. Mm-hmm. And, and this is one of those situations where, like, in those particular circumstances, we as players need to keep voting with our money, right? Like, And if, I think we are a lot more. I, I, case I in point are. with, again, Destiny. I fucking love that game, which is clear. Just go back and listen to those episodes where we talked about it. And I still do. And I want to go in and play Forsaken because of that idea of, holy fuck, what are they going to do with K6? I, that, that draws me in. But I just like you said, we have to speak with our wallets because that's the money that they that the the opinion that they hear. And so, no, I'm not going to buy it because of that. So it's unfortunate, but it's not like there's not other games that I'm going to play anyway. So so it's all it's all fine. Yeah, there's always other games. Yeah. And one of those other games is Anthem, the air quotes next destiny, which I don't think anybody wants to try to live up to anymore. But yeah, they had their big showing at E3 where if their intention was to make the game look as boring and uninteresting as possible, they succeeded because holy shit, that just did not seem interesting in any way. Legit question for the four, the three of you. Of the Anthem stuff that was presented, <laughs> it's going to seem odd, but how many of you zoned out during the presentation and either didn't watch it all or didn't pay attention through it all kind of thing. Cause I know that I definitely zoned out of parts. and was like, I'm not interested. And was doing other shit. I've been willfully ignoring anything Anthem related. Like, and I this is as someone care. I actually wanted to hear good, good things about it. So, yeah. And I, I, I was, was paying attention out. very intently because I figured soon they have to get to the good stuff. <laughs> I watched it twice because the first time I didn't think I gave it a fair shake. And the second time I hate watched it. So I am very upset about Andromeda still. So I am not given Bioware the benefit of the doubt for a very long time. No. And you know, they, they've become just like any other studio right now. They have to, you know, we're going to have to see what they put out before. It's no longer an automatic pre-order yeah, yeah, exactly. that every mass effect and dragon age game has been since you know since Knights of the Old Republic came out but yeah with Anthem uh right after E3 one of the executive producers of the game Mark Dara picked a Twitter and just essentially opened up his Twitter to questions from the fans about the game and he answered a lot of questions and IGN was very helpful in compiling a lot of the uh, most interesting ones into a nice article for me so I'm not going to go through all hundred some odd responses that they had here but I noticed some interesting themes uh, coming out of what they were talking here. And at least for me, structurally, it doesn't feel like they're going for a Destiny type game. Like, yes, they're still shooting. Yes, they're still loot. Yes, it's an online sort of not even MMO type game, because for me, it feels like they're more. And we you, we talked about this during the E3 thing. It feels like they're more inspired by the Monster Hunter franchise. And not in so much as that the the giant monsters are going to be your goal the entire time. Of course, we saw there are giant monsters in the world. But as far as how the game is paced, how it's structured, how things work, and that you have essentially a single-player instance in your town where all your characters are going to be and all of the, the Bioware conversation type stuff is going to play out, minus romances, because that's not a thing in Anthem. And you go out into the the game world, and that's where you know the combat takes place, and it's it's its own separate sort of instance where now you can group up with friends and you can do like all the actual game stuff in the world. If if you played Monster Hunter World or any other Monster Hunter game, it it's a very it it's a very familiar structure, and it's something that has proven to work because Monster Hunter World is fucking fantastic. So it, seeing how that blends over to this anthem style game it's going to be interesting to see as they say the story missions can be played with anywhere from one to four people so you can solo the entire story if you want to or you can group up with friends they say progress is matched like nobody has to that's the the one big thing with like monster hunter world there's a lot of shenanigans if you're trying to like group up for story instances or story quests it's it's a weird thing 
but yeah, if you're in a group and you complete the mission, you get the credit for it, whether you're the party leader or not, whether you join up later, good stuff. Uh, there are actual group content, though, called the Strongholds. This is what they showed in the E3 demo, which is just like Destiny Strikes, it's group content. You can't solo it. Uh, as far as I said, like you can't even enter it with less than four people. So, they, But at the same time, they're not in, required at all for progression. So if you want to do the group content to get the cool loot, fight the cool enemies, it's there, but it's not required. Uh, they went on to talk about like some lore stuff. Of course, there's lore in the game. Imagine that. But uh, one of the, the points that they brought up is that, yes, there is an in-game place for all of the lore. So Anthem is going to have its own version of the Grimoire, which, if I'm not mistaken, Destiny still isn't talking about, even with Forsaken coming up. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they they talked about some stuff like collections and triumphs, but I still didn't see anything specifically lore related in there. And, and then they talked about um, being able to go into free play mode, which is much like uh, doing an expedition in Monster Hunter, where you can just go out, no mission objective, just go out in the world, explore, fight stuff, gather crafting materials, whatever you want to do. The difference is, uh, again, using Monster Hunter World as the example, when you go out in expedition, it's still... Uh, a solo thing and then you can invite players to join you publicly but it's not a very popular public thing nobody really cares about just going out and farming crystals with their friends they want to go fight monsters but anytime you leave town without that story that story mission or any objective in in mind and you go into the free play mode it's just like in uh destiny the public spaces they are public spaces they're up to four players in any uh free play mode so if somebody is out there working on something, you can jump in and help them out. So it's going to have a more alive feel. It's, it's like a melding of the Monster Hunter concept with the Destiny concept or any other online game concept. But only four? Yes. That's going to be a hell of a lot of shards. I mean, again, it's working for Monster Hunter. So oh, I didn't realize. Hunter four. Really? Well, okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was that low population for the, the right. The, 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 the big thing is going to be like, uh, like has how is the game world divided up? Like, it, for example, you know, Monster Hunter has the different uh, biospheres, and each one of them is relatively small. So, like, if there's four players in, you know, like, because what we saw in in the demos, like these large, expansive, like zones you could fly in and out of. So, I don't know if it's how how they're splitting up the the players per server and like if you're going to a different instance or a different server when you change zones i don't know that it's like if the game world is too big then four players is pretty much nothing so it that's something that we're gonna have to kind of keep an eye on is that maintaining that ratio one of the more interesting things is that what we've seen you know when you're out and about you're in your third person's perspective with your javelin mech and all that but when you're in town the game switches to a first person perspective which is very odd to me like I, they say it's like they they want to make the the towns feel a little more confined for some reason and they chose the first person perspective or maybe it's just due to like animation like we saw in mass effect andromeda or polygon counts that's probably a, a big thing is you know as far as keeping frame rates high and uh, being able to deliver a more uh, stable experience when you're in the town settings when you have more npcs on screen i don't know it's it seems weird, but it's not a game breaker per se. They talked a little bit about progression, that uh, you will have access to all four of the javelins. You'll start out with the ranger, which is kind of like their basic DPS sort of one in the first mission. And then within the first few hours of gameplay, you'll have uh, side missions to go collect the other three javelins. Is it the Colossus, the Storm, and something else? I don't remember. Uh, ranger, so, isn't it? The ranger's the one you start with, yeah. There's, there's another one in there. I don't remember exactly what it is. It's like the sniper sort of one. Scout or something like that. But anyway, uh, so you'll have all four javelins available to you in, in your garage, and you'll be able to pick which one you want to use in any given mission because the actual like leveling up progression is tied to your pilot. Your pilot has their own levels while they while they're unlock skills and perks as they level up, which will apply to all of your javelins. That's actually and, good. Mm-hmm. And then your javelins will increase in uh, viability by actually just getting loot drops for them, getting new weapons, getting new armor pieces and being able to upgrade them. So like, you know, you're out there and like, Hey, you get a really cool weapon for your, your ranger. When you typically play Colossus, it's easy to just swap that swap onto your ranger uh, 
frame and you know try out a new gameplay style like i like that there there's that much flexibility built into the gameplay that all the progression is tied to your one character and that all the loot drop levels are determined by your character level not necessarily by your by your uh javelin level if you will well that's how it should be like again if you return to that monster hunter analogy it's mm-hmm. the same as having you have your one character but your different weapons that you can use exactly and javelins are just weapons are just fucking big weapons so it makes perfect sense and, and then just kind of rounding out the the big monster hunter feel i'm getting from this game they talked about uh like end game stuff there's lots of progression for better gear and weapons in what they're calling the elder game now monster hunter the end game is essentially like it's all about killing the elder dragons so this is obviously a prime uh inspiration for them is you know having these high-end creatures that you just go out and farm to get good loot to keep building yourself up and get better loot and kill bigger things and like if the gameplay itself looked more interesting, I would be very excited for this because I've learned through firsthand experience just how interesting and fun this gameplay structure can be. Granted, well, it needs fun and interesting actual gameplay mechanics to work. See, that's what I keep going back to as you're talking about. It. Now, I did not play Monster Hunter World. Although you will. There was a fucking good sale and I was like, oh, but I keep going back to what you were saying where, you know, it's it's the levels do matter and it's not like i i think i missed the boat on the ps4 and i'm not even sure i'm gonna bother with the pc version at this point but that idea of what monster hunter world represents and i got to see a whole fucking bunch of people having so much fun with it applied to a sci-fi setting Mm -hmm. if they could do it right yeah i'm on fucking board with that as long as you're not trying to nickel and dime me for every fucking little thing and you keep the content fresh, I'm willing to pay you for purely cosmetic shit that's just going to make me look like a badass but not change anything and also to support you kind of thing. Don't don't try with this bullshit of season passes and shit like that. Just follow the Monster Hunter World uh, business model, essentially. And if you can do that then, yeah, I actually would play that game. Well, let's talk about some game industry fuckery then, shall we? Because I have a whole number of notes here about specifically talking about downloadable content and season passes and all that stuff. You're going to crush my soul, aren't you? I have to say, (laughs) from what I'm seeing here, they're following the Monster Hunter model. They, they, uh, he claims that no core, no core plot points will be locked behind paywall downloadable content. So, you know, if there is paid DLC, it's not going to be story content. Uh, Bioware wants to make sure people can always play together and aren't fragmented depending on who has post-launch content expansions. New story content, new game spaces, and post-launch content like that will be available for everyone. Now, the first when I first read that, it implied to me there's not going to be like the the PS4 exclusive stuff that we see in Destiny. But it was specifically in reply to a question asking if there's going to be paid content downloadable. And so when when you're answering that question saying that the stuff's going to be available to everyone, it implies to me that actual content will be free. We'll see. This game still doesn't come out for a while and this is by no means the official EA BioWare you know, press releases, but from what he's saying, it sounds relatively less fuckery than maybe we're anticipating. Uh, he continues to say that there is no paying for power in Anthem. Anything is per- anything purchasable with real money is cosmetic. The purchasable vanity items will be viewable before you buy them to see, so you can see what you're getting, and there are no loot boxes. So if you see something in the store that you want, you buy and you get that specific item, which is the thing that we've been saying for Destiny. Some of this shit's really cool. If I could just buy that stuff, I would, but having to go through loot boxes, same thing with like Overwatch and other games that use a similar system. You can also earn all of the vanity items. All personalization cosmetic options in Anthem can be earned and unlocked through gameplay. So if you don't want to spend the money, Conceivably, eventually you can earn it in some way. 
The only exception to this that he mentioned is the uh, the Legion of Dawn collector's edition. The items in the collector's edition will be exclusive to the people who bought that. Aside from that, seems like it's kind of fair game to me. Anybody else <laughs> waiting for the other shoe? Exa- the, I, the, I know, the concern I know. that yeah. I have is, is We've this... We've been hurt too many times. Yeah, is this good PR that someone there in their PR department has listened to the, the the fuckery that has impacted other studios and is saying what needs to be said, or is that a studio understanding it and putting out a product that is not going to fuck their, their player base? That's the big thing, and that's what we're having a hard time with right now. But See, if they followed everything that you said, if, that's a big motherfucking if, but if they did, and if they put out content regularly and they are relying on those cosmetic purchases to fund that, A, I don't know if that would be enough to fund that, but if it is, again, I could be on board with that. I I most certainly could be on board with that, and I would probably enjoy it. See, so here's my my only fear after hearing all of that. You only have one? Yes. <laughs> but I it have is many. <laughs> the fear is that what's going to wind up happening is they're going to be earnest in their attempt to do this, that they've seen the writing on the wall, they're trying really hard to earn back their good name, they're trying to get back, you know, the gamers that they lost and that they've pushed out and have alienated. I'll say that that's an intent that they have, that that's what they're trying to do. Um, here's where I think my fear comes in. When that doesn't happen immediately, when players don't flock to this game like they expect it to, how long before all of that goes out the window because they need to make money? And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. If you're in the business to make games versus if you're in the business to make money, there is a divine difference. And the question is, how? where's the line before it becomes or goes from one to the other for that? Let and me ask. That's my that's my fear. And it's a it's a legitimate one. Like I am not joking when I say that. Um, it. I don't know that they can maintain the same business model as, say, Monster Hunter. Vince, what are we looking at? One a month? Do they come up with a new monster? Uh, a little less frequent than that. They they kind of alternate between, like, new monsters and just, like, fun, like, events, like the Street Fighter and Devil May Cry stuff. But, so, like, I th- I think they've, they've been probably, like, one every two months or so for, like, new content. Okay. So if if, big fucking if, but if Bioware was following that business model... I don't know that um, purely cosmetic would be enough. So then we need to look at, okay, well, what are some of the things that they could do that we as players would accept as not paying to win, but still giving them money to get something cool or something that is... um, Again, helping the studio keep the lights on, essentially. Not that Bioware needs to worry about that, but you know what I mean. So keep the specifically for this game, let's say. So would you guys be all right with if they started selling mech suits that have different abilities so long as they are um, have the same kind of power levels, essentially, as the other ones? So basically, it's not a you're not paying to get something better, just something different. Would you guys be all right with spending some money on that over time? Nope, because it wouldn't last. Eventually, you'll it'll become pay to win, and it just there will be some exploit when you begin to insert uh, mechanics into that. I think they can do a lot with the cosmetics. It just depends on how they want to add and detract from stuff. Like they could add, you know, if you do a particular raid, a prestige level raid in Destiny, and you unlock at a certain score, you get an aura that follows you around for a while. That is something that people probably would pay money for to their so their character would glow a little bit more. Um, ornamentation is something that will that people will pay for. If it's not winning people over, then they gotta just invest in that asset. And I think that therein lies the problem. They don't want to invest in that. They just want to get the benefit of investing in it. Okay, now for the other two, 
we're going to try to go with what I actually suggested, which is that <laughs> let's imagine a system where it does not lead to pay to win, which immediately Marty went to. But I'm saying, again, this is my little exercise here for theory. And I'm saying in this little exercise, it does not lead to that. So taking that into consideration, would either of you be willing to pay for such mechs um, over cosmetic things to again keep the lights on for Anthem essentially. Next. I mean, no. For me, it would depend on you know, is, am am I playing the game? Am I having fun with it? And like, is this something that's interesting to me for something I consider a reasonable price? Perhaps. Let's I, okay. Let's put it's it. To a lot of, it's a lot of hypotheticals. Let's put it that way. Exactly. So let's put it to Monster Hunter then, as the analogy. If that's what they're going for, which, again, it sounds like they are. So Monster Hunter World, you are enjoying it. If they were to offer every, let's say every three months, a weapon that is not changing the game, definitely not any better than the others, pretty much the same, just way different, and you had to pay for it as a, an, an add-on, would you buy it? Almost definitely. So then it could work. But it, it requires the integrity of the studio to ensure that those mechs that they put in don't break the game. So that's see. It here's here's my thoughts on like just pay in general. I like the League of Legends model. I, I like it because when you talk about games that you enjoy, uh, even the Hots model now, what you can purchase with money is just an acceleration of things you can get through putting your time and effort into the game. I'm okay with that because if you really enjoy the game and want to support it, you can throw money at it. And if you don't want to throw money at it or you can't throw money at it, you can support the game by playing it as well. And that tends to be the best that you can do because it's a no pressure system. But when you start putting caveats on it, like, okay, would you be willing to buy these, these mechs or these things uh, to keep the lights on, it becomes a really weird situation for me because can I earn those things any other way? If the answer is no, I'm not going to put money on. Is it purely cosmetic? Maybe, possibly. If it makes me look cool and I'm already enjoying the game and I have fun in that game, possibly. But that also comes with a price tag associated with the game itself. Oh, yeah. Because I, because I expect a certain amount of content for the money that I'm spending on the original game. And with these games coming out at 60 70 80 90 dollars sometimes to have you know collector's editions and get those exclusive items or whatever the case is and even if at, like the base level 60 dollars just to get your foot in the door of the game that's a lot especially when they're adopting a model that games that are free give you by not having you spend any money up front completely so like, agree and that that and that's my weird place with it like if i enjoy a game i'll throw money at it like, fuck, I, I still play WoW. I just bought a fucking race change for one of my characters that I'm enjoying playing because I wanted to be a fucking elf. I, and, like, and, and that's the thing. That's what I keep going back to. If we're enjoying it and if yeah. we don't feel like they're trying to fuck us over, will we throw money at it to but, support it? And But if you have that $60 price tag in front of it, that's the difference. much yes. less likely to even pick up the game to begin with. Yeah. All right, Vince, was there anything else for Anthem? Uh, one other interesting little tidbit that I actually forgot in my notes that I actually but I remembered while you guys were chatting was of course cross-platform play is out the window because Sony, but he did mention that the possibility of cross-platform saves would be possible. So for example, you know, you can't play cross-platform, but if you own the game on Xbox and you own the game on PS4, you could conceivably play the same character. So like it, yeah, that ain't gonna happen. I could already, I already tell yeah. you that it's not gonna happen because I know how Sony's backend works. Mm -hmm. And the answer is, they're not going to let anything tap into that, period. Yeah. It, they're shame. open to it, but yeah, at the end of the day, there's a big elephant in the room that's kind of preventing anything of that sort of... Jerk. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Fallout 76. Joe, you're up. So since the excitement and possible disappointment and then re-excitement of Fallout 76 has been hitting... We've gotten a whole lot more information about what the game is going to be. Um, we, we've gotten some gameplay trailers and things like that, which are basically slightly extended uh, clips of what they showed during the actual E3 conference. 
but between the interviews and everything else, we've gotten a lot more information. We know the launch date, which, you know, it's November 14th, 2018, uh, which is real soon, actually, all things considered. Um, there is going to be a beta window happening pretty soon for people that pre-order um, any edition. Um, the collector's edition completely sold out in three minutes, um, which was stupid. I didn't even get one, which makes me really sad because um, I really wanted that fucking helmet. Uh <laughs> Uh, but the interesting things about this is, one, the time period, we are absolutely right in the fact that it is happening before all the other games have actually have occurred. It's, you know, within the first 30 years, essentially, of the actual bombs dropping. And the cool thing is they're taking this as an opportunity to inject more into the world, not less. Because one of the things that is is true and what we can see from, like, Chernobyl and shit like that is while, yes, there can be meltdowns and weird sort of like barren wastelands, that's not always the case, and life reacts really differently. And so we're going to have different monsters, different mutations, uh, different items like that that occur, so we're not just going to get just super mutants and bloat flies and, you know, mole rats. We're going to get weird fungus monsters. We're going to get Mothman, who's going to become a thing, uh, which is really cool. They're, they're taking this as an opportunity to do new and interesting monsters because they're like yeah shit would have gone crazy until things settled down and you know biology sort of found a way to level out makes perfect sense to me um the other things that i thought were cool is there is going to be something similar to vats but not exactly vats which is good because vats potentially could make things really really weird um there is going to be a pvp and pve system but you can opt out of the pvp side of things they haven't gone into too much detail about it, um, but you can do things to sort of avoid that, which is interesting to hear. I'm, I want to know more about that. Um, and then for players that do find ways to grief, they're putting in a wanted system almost where, you know, because when you open up the game, you're going to be able to see where everybody in your instance is, period. You can just see where they are. So you can avoid them uh, and you, or you could go find them. Or you could do whatever you want to do with it. Um, but they're talking about possibly making it so that if you're getting griefed, you disappear from the map completely for that person. And maybe everybody gets a little notice that says, hey, you know, this person's kind of being an asshole. Uh, you guys might want to go police that. So I want to know more about that system. But I thought that was cool that they're already starting to think about that. Because one of my problems with like games like Ark, um, you know, and, and Pixar and, and Conan is that griefing is real. And people love to destroy other people's shit just because they can um, that's so th the biggest thing that's keeping probably the majority of us a little skeptical about this game. Like, I, in all honesty, well, I saw this trailer and I thought, oh, you know, I, I, I'm such a sucker for Fallout games and I want to play this so badly. And after I was watching the last trailer that you posted, it was one of those, well, okay, I'll play it, I'll have fun, but I'm definitely not going to invest any time or energy into the base, which I well, know is a big part of the game, but... And, and I got more I, information about that too. I, I, I assume so from the, <laughs> but regardless of what you're about to tell me, what I was going to say is even if it is a system that is going to allow random people to nuke your base, as we saw in his little presser thing, I I'm all right with that simply because I want to play the game and get the content. I just won't care about anything that can be destroyed. Well, and that's one of the things that they, they, addressed as a concern because everybody who interviewed anybody from Bethesda about this, that was one of the questions they asked. And so the camp system has a couple different, uh, I don't want to say modes, um, but you can set up permanent uh, where, you know, things persist after you log out or when you log out, everything that you've built disappears with you. And then when you log back in, everything comes back in. So, you can essentially control how your your camp interacts with the world around you. But um, then once really you're cool. back and in the world, it could be destroyed? It can be, but here's the thing. Not at the rate that you might be used to, to the point where they said, even if your base magically gets hit by a nuke, um, which I'll talk about in a, in a little bit, it's not going to be destroyed. It may need to be repaired, but it will not be destroyed. Which means that nukes are what they used to be. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so this I'm actually in the nukes, North Korea. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to transition to that. Actually, I, I think this is really interesting the way they're talking about nukes in general. So nukes, everybody was concerned about were going to be like this big PVP thing. 
The, the thing is, it's not. Um, it has more PVE applications, and that's the intent. So one of the things they gave is that there's these thing called Scorchers. They're basically giant bat things that, like, you saw it in the trailer. You saw it in the gameplay footage. They're fucking monstrosities. They're huge. They're essentially this, they're, they're, they're Fallout's version of the dragons from fucking Skyrim. Um, there is a quest that you get for part of their end game, and they didn't go into too much detail, but you find out these things are coming out of fissures in the ground. You need to find a nuke to seal those fissures. Otherwise, they're just going to keep coming. And it's interesting because it becomes more of a PvE goal than anything else. And it's, I think that's really, really cool. The other thing that they talked about is that nuked areas aren't necessarily going to be, you know, destroyed or barren wastelands or things like that. They're really into this idea that what happens to those areas is special or different and they want it to have more PVE impact. So you nuke an area, that area then generates different resources that you might need for questing or for construction or consumables or whatever the case is. Um, and then it slowly returns back to normal over time as the radiation sort of dissipates. So these aren't full nukes, they're more like mini nukes um, and they're more set to do that which I think is actually really cool because that was one of my major concerns is that you're just going to have a group of people that do nothing but troll everybody else with, with nukes, but now they're going to have a choice of, oh, I can maybe possibly do some damage to the settlement out in here, or I can actually go for this quest thing that I'm looking for. And it's not going to be like everybody gets them. It's going to be a long drawn out thing where, you know, you have to find all of the pieces to the key code and then the facility and then everything else. So that's going to be part of the ending content. And that actually gave me a lot of hope. What gives me more hope is that I am guessing that the majority of the people who play, well, I shouldn't say majority, a great deal of the people who play Fallout games aren't necessarily first-person shooter guys or people that would be prone to just being wanting to troll people but rather are people who enjoy the franchises and what that represents, which is explorer exploration, RPG, crafting, and things like that, and questing. So I'm hoping that because of the type of games that they have made for so long now and how that has influenced their player base, that when that player base enters this kind of game, that Hopefully, there won't be as many assholes as you'd find in other similar games like yeah. Ark or whatever until those assholes show up. You know what I mean? Well, and, and here's the thing: like this is what this is just from what I'm seeing from the online forums and like even Reddit and shit. Like people are already sitting there and talking about how they don't want griefers and how there's there's more people being vocal about how they want to play this closer to like a cooperative Fallout game than anything else yeah. and that that gives me a lot of hope yeah um, because that kind of idea is actually awesome take the griefing aspect out and a multiplayer fallout whether it's with friends or random people actually sounds like a lot of fun it's the moment you insert the griefing bullshit that it kills it oh i agree absolutely and there are some other cool features that they were talking about doing as well which i just want to go over just real quick and then i'll, I'll be done um, the way that radiation is going to be dealing with or dealt with by players in this game is really, really interesting because it doesn't just kill you and reduce your max health like all of the previous games. Instead, it causes mutation uh, in the player. And this can be anything from a third appendage to interesting perks that allow you to customize your character. Um, and they haven't described too much how that system works, if the player is going to have any controller input or if it's going to be something that sort of happens. Um, but players can cure it uh, to get rid of it if they don't like it, uh, or they can keep it and become part of the Fallout lore in sort of that way, which I think is really, really cool. Uh, it's a nice twist on it because radiation is sort of boring in the other games. It's just, well, I can't go in that water because it's going to fucking kill me. Instead, it's like, I'm going to go take a bath in this, this you know, pool of water that I found next to this nuclear silo because I want a fucking second head. Why not? Hey, that's Bayer Mutant. Yeah. yeah who's who's going to do it better? I am actually 
So I've I've been shamed publicly on the show for not liking Fallout 4, and I'm going to buy Fallout 76 on Steam for my Windows partition because this is – I'm a sucker for Fallout just like Roger, and if it breaks my heart, it breaks my heart. But I want to – play a game that could potentially play with you gentlemen. So. And, and that's the thing, like we can we can join a party through whatever system we're going to be working with, which I'm guessing is going to be the Bethesda Live thing that they have going on, which is we add each other as friends and then we all show up on the same server and whenever we're playing or we can just choose to go and do that, which I think is fine. And yeah. I think that's great. Yeah, that aspect I really enjoy a lot. Okay, but let's move. Most of my fears are good. Yeah. Okay, let's move on from there. I've been doing some Star Trek Bridge Crew uh, particularly the the next generation DLC, uh, I did uh, quite a bit the other day, and as I was talking about it on Twitter, it was one of those things where the 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 next generation DLC has some quirks that I'm not crazy about, but that I'm getting used to. But what I'm finding is that it is a spectacular game. If you are a fan of the IP, and and in the case of the, the reason why I'm using it to get rid of, again, pain, works amazingly well. And part of that is how well the game is created, clearly. Part of it is um, the pace that the game has, which is ridiculously well done. Like the writers and whoever was involved in that aspect did their homework studying the 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 shows and the manner in which the plot is constructed to keep the viewer's attention and things like that, and then the leading to the crescendos and then having a little bit of time to relax and then oh shit is getting worse and, and that kind of idea. And this DLC does that very well. So I played for for well over an hour uh, just a couple of days ago. The missions tend to be about a half hour each, which is a little long, I found. But again, I was in there for the pain relief, so I didn't mind that it was a little bit longer. It was so effective at removing the pain from my knees that the pain that I noticed was, in fact, actually my back was getting sore because unfortunately the game, because you're sitting down a lot in the game and the picture of the chairs on the next generation where the almost uh, where the armrest is, there's panels and things. Well, that's that's where the armrest is on the chair that I'm sitting. So it kind of fucks with the game in that way. So you have to sit like way up on the edge of the chair and or sit in another chair that doesn't have arms, which I mean, it's my living room. Clearly the chairs are recliner so it has arms so that was a little annoying but the 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 cool thing is is that again and and this is not looking for sympathies of any kind but like it, it's very painful for to sit for too long or if my legs aren't kind of where they need to be so if i am like where i am now i've got a, an ottoman and i keep my legs on that and that's fine but if i'm just putting my legs down naturally if it fucks with the nerves and it, it really hurts bad. So here I am sitting on the edge of the seat doing just that for uh, the, the Star Trek stuff in VR. My knees did not hurt at all for well over an hour. It was my back that would get sore because I was hunching over as if I was fucking Picard in the chair kind of thing and leaning on one knee while I'm doing shit and looking at things. And my back was getting sore, but my knees were not. I was not thinking about that pain at all. And again, that was a really bad pain day as well because of the weather. So like in that regard, I can't stress it enough for people who are looking for something for VR for pain relief. Holy fucking hell, that game rules. So the missions that I did were... Typical kind of missions that I'm seeing at this point where you are being sent off, sometimes because of a hail to help somebody out kind of thing, and you're dealing with decloaking. In this case, it's Romulans and things like that. The second mission I did, though, was really cool because, you're yes, you're going to a hail, but it's a, a transport ship that their prisoner escaped and went on a freighter. So now you got to go looking for freighters 
and scanning them for life forms until you find this person again and get them and bring them back. And meanwhile, there's Romulans all over the fucking place because they want this fugitive as well. And so they're decloaking everywhere. And this is where you start to see a lot more intelligent AI design because when you're doing those, those air battles, space battles, whatever the fuck you want to call them, and there's more than one you can see them in real time being motherfuckers and trying to strafe around you to get to you from behind or whatever while one is just out of your reach that you keep trying to go after. And so I had to keep changing my tactics and shifting between one and the other, watching how much of their shield I'd taken down and all kinds of shit like that. The questing was phenomenal. The action was great. The... The um, it was funny because as we're getting nailed by fucking Romulans, they're my crewmates, my essentially my my Riker and my Troy on either side of me. Whenever we're getting hit, are doing the Star Trek kind of like bouncing around in their seats, and I'm looking at them going, "What the fuck are you fools doing?" And, and you realize, oh, your ship is getting hit by you know torpedoes or whatever, and that's why. And there were like panels that were on fire for a little too long. There should be some fire people somewhere coming out to take care of that. But they were there. But overall, it was ridiculously good. I still haven't gone to the Borg parts yet. um, Just because I wanted to get a real feel for, again, the next generation content before I go into really hard stuff. I've gotten really good at having to just lift my little data panel and do some things on that and some things in blank space in front of me. I've gotten pretty good at navigating between that, though I still feel that was a horrible design choice by them, or rather that if they were going to implement it, they should have done a lot more to make it better and more effective. That being said, you get used to it. But yeah, overall, it was a ton of fun. Really enjoy it. And it is, it is turning into one of the games, much like... Uh, Moss and and some other ones too where they're the type of games that are going to sell me on a better VR system because they do show off some of the limitations but they're so fucking good that I'm left thinking how much better would it be perfectly clear, how much better would it be if I didn't have to worry about the wonky move tracking that you get from PSVRs which does get annoying and things like that. So it, it really has me excited to play these games in like a Vive eventually or, or something else. So yeah, excellent stuff. Okay, let's move on very quickly. Joe, you wanted to talk about Legend of, of Bumbo? <laughs> yeah, so I, I really enjoy Ed McMillan games. I think they're absolutely great. Um, but this is a prequel to The Binding of Isaac. Uh, the Legend of Bumbo is essentially a first-person dungeon crawler with a turn-based combat system that also uses a match-for puzzle game to sort of fuel the powering of your spells and abilities. Go um, on. Ha- My ears <laughs> perked up as well. <laughs> so the the theme aside, which I, I know can be off-putting for a bunch of people, Bumbo is essentially, he's a bum. He was living behind Isaac's house. Somebody stole his coins and dove into this into this dungeon area. So Bumbo takes his bag of garbage and dives in after him to go get his coin back. Um, and so the way the game progresses is you do have a, a flat map, just like the old Dungeon Crawlers from the NES and Super NES style days, um, where you go from room to room. Each room has three layers of enemies or events that you encounter, uh, front, middle, and back row. Uh, your character essentially lays out his bag of garbage, which is... Uh, brown, yellow, green, and white items that have to be done connected in a match four to basically generate mana of that color for the various abilities and spells that you have access. And then you choose when it's your turn, um, basically which one to cast, where to cast it at, so on and so forth. Um, It's actually really, really, uh, it sounds like a nifty sort of system to me, Um, very engaging, and it is still the roguelike element, so everything is going to be different. And the other thing that I find interesting is the art style. It's cardboard cutouts of everything. Like you're going from cardboard box to cardboard box in this dungeon, almost like Paper Mario, like a really lo-fi Paper Mario. It's, it looks 
something like right up my alley and it just i'm super intrigued by it like it just looks like it's gonna be fun I, i'm in yeah i've i've also liked the ed mcmillan games and this does look like fun i actually dig the cardboard kind of things i, I think it's yeah. it's it's interesting and different enough and so yeah i i, I dig it too oh my god that's Mark, mark the calendar. That's the, <laughs> the four of us agree on something. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That is going to wrap it up for tonight. Thank you very much for joining us. You can find the, the show notes at forthelore.com. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. You can find us on Twitter at forthelore. Individually, Joe is Lord or ZJ. Vince is Simonian and Marty is Officer Gleason. And with that, we will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew.